what we want to do is look into the kind of rest that God is calling us all to. And so, Matt, I just want to start this morning by asking this question. What comes to mind when you think of the word rest? When somebody says rest, what comes to mind? Maybe you think about, maybe just think about some sleep. Maybe you think about just relaxing or maybe it's like a summer vacation or, or maybe it's just recreation like what most of us are going to do at some point today. And all of those things, by the way, are, are right responses to God by caring for the way he designed our bodies and our minds and our souls to function for our good and for his glory. We, we learned a little bit about that last week in the park, right? Like God gives us the things that he gives us, not so that they become an end unto themselves, but for us to enjoy them so that by enjoying them, we get a fuller picture of what it means to actually enjoy God. So the end isn't the things that he gives us to enjoy, but the end is himself who is over all of those things and is sort of the supreme pinnacle of what our enjoyment is supposed to be. So it's a right thing for us to find rest, physical rest, uh, in the ways that I just laid out. But the point of that rest is not only so that we can just return to work, renewed and, and re-energized, although that's good, but it's also for our, our worship. It's also for the state of our souls, which by the way, that worship part, that's, that's the purpose for which we were created. So to start thinking about rest a little bit differently and knowing that as we dive into God's word, hopefully it's going to reframe a little bit of how we like think of rest, how we don't just narrow it down to getting a little extra sleep, taking that vacation or having a cookout like most of us are going to do, which by the way, again, are all good things, but it's this idea of reframing rest as something that's a little more deep and as something that's a little more uh, designed by God to be something of which is going to draw us closer to him. The problem is that rest isn't as easy as we wish it was. And even those other ways that we do physical rest aren't as easy as that, are they? Right? Because although sleep and relaxation, recreation, vacations, they're, again, they're uber important. We can engage in those things without achieving even an ounce of real internal rest. Well, why is that? Well, because deeper than our need for physical rest is a rest of the soul that we just tend to neglect, even as Christians. And when we lack a restful spirit, which is really what we're talking about this morning, no amount of restful activities are going to satisfy that deeper underlying need that you have and that I have. So how do we experience that kind of rest? is one of the questions that we're gonna be answering over the next three weeks. So I was about seven years old the first time I went to the dentist and I think I set a world record because guess what they found? 15 cavities. Dude, I didn't even know I had that many teeth. I had the worst parents ever is what they were thinking. Um, I would love to tell you that that was the last time I ever visited the dentist, but it was not. I still get these unbearable toothaches sometimes. And when I finally can't live with the pain any longer, I go to the dentist. And the thing that always amazes me is that the minute the dentist removes the cavity, there's like just total relief. 
I never believe it's going to be that way, but it is every time. And then he chastises me. I like, I like using that word better by reminding me that I need to start brushing and flossing at least twice a day, which I do perfectly every day. I'm kidding. Nobody flosses. But if I actually just listened to this dude, if I actually listened to my dentist, I'd no doubt experience healthier teeth, less cavities, less trips to the dentist to be yelled at and chastised by that guy who thinks he has the right to do that every time I'm there. We are more complex than our teeth, okay? But when it comes to Christians experiencing rest for their souls, God provides us with something. He provides us with ways to cultivate our souls so that we can return over and over to the kind of deep inner rest that a relationship with Jesus Christ has given us the opportunity and the power to experience. Now look, man, I know we are just sick to death of talking about COVID, right? And the year that we've come out of, man, we've talked about that so much. I think it was right that we did. But my fear as your pastor is that we would return to all of the things that are familiar and comfortable, but are all also equally as frantic and chaotic, right? Getting back, we wanna get back into that routine, right? We've been so eager to get back into those patterns that we've missed that weren't necessarily bad. But, but what were those rhythms? What were those patterns? What did they produce in us? What if the Lord's intention for your life was not to return to just death-defying functionality, but to deeper rest? And not just physical rest, but rest for your soul, the kind of internal rest that exists even when you're functioning and you need to function at a high capacity. In other words, what does God want your life to be like, not just look like? I mean, God, God is painting different portraits for all of our lives in terms of what they look like. But what does he want us to be like within the portrait that he's painting? Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving that's going to help us see what it looks like to be honest with both God and ourselves about where we're at so that we experience deeper rest and security and hopefulness in a God who designed you not to just be a worker, but a worshiper. All right, let's hit it. Psalm 116. I'm going to read the whole thing. Today, we're just going to hit verses 1 through 7. But I'm going to just go ahead and read all 19 verses. And it says this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. 
What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So our rest is found as we look in verses 1 through 7 in three things. In our love for God, in our prayers to him, and in our praise of him. The psalmist begins this particular psalm, which is a song of thanksgiving, with expressing his love for God. We serve a God who is not just a loving God, but a God who is love. A God who is described in 1 John as God being love. He embodies love. In other words, we don't really even know how to define love without looking at who God is. We might try to do that, but we're going to come up with a funky version of what that means. And his love for us, it changes our hearts so dramatically that we go from being his enemies to actually loving him with the love that he loves us with. I mean, just take a second to ponder and to imagine that, right? None of us were born with the heart and therefore the ability to love the Lord. But when he rescued us from death, our hearts were so radically renewed and re-engineered that they were filled with the love to love the Lord. Paul tells us this in Romans 5 when he says that God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The psalmist here not only tells us he loves the Lord, but tells us why. He says because he has heard his voice and his pleas for mercy. This is a brother that is laying himself bare before the Lord. And he's saying, I love you because you listen to me. God has inclined his ear to this brother. In other words, he listens intently. He listens intently. And people don't, don't do that. It's not been my experience. People don't listen. Is that your experience with some people? All people? People don't listen. You know, sometimes people seem like they hear you, but they're not really listening to you. Like you're talking, but you, like you catch their eyes looking over your head and they seem distracted and, you know, bored and disinterested. I wish I could say that never happens to me, but it happens to me like all the time. Somehow, as big as God is, as the creator, ruler, and king of the universe, he listens intently to you when you are at your weakest. He hangs on your every word. Isn't that insane? He doesn't miss a thing. He's not getting distracted. There's not something happening elsewhere that he's going, well, hold on, 
can you, can you repeat what you just said? I do that to my wife a lot. She'll say something, I'm not listening, and I have like this really clever thing where I go, hey, say that last thing you just said again, because I want to hear it again. When really what I'm saying is, I want to hear it for the first time, because I wasn't listening. <laughs> Try not to look at her right now, but it just doesn't matter, because it's, it's true. So the psalmist, knowing this, says, I will call on him as long as I live, because who else can offer me this kind of intense intimacy? There's an intensity about the way God listens to us with that much intent. Like I just said a minute ago, my wife can hear my voice, and boy, does she ever, right? But she can't provide me with the kind of rest for my soul that comes when I express my love for God who leans in and listens intently, and not just intently, but he listens gently too. The psalmist is reminding us that it's God's love for us that moves our heart to loving him, expressing our love for him, and then experiencing the peace that comes with being loved by someone who is in control of the universe. And therefore, just this tiny microscopic place that we dwell in it. When is the last time that you expressed your love for God or reflected on his love for you or pondered what it means to be loved by the king of the universe? And then thinking about the kind of effect that this really almost unimaginable reality has if we reflect on it long enough, what, what kind of effect that has on your soul? What's so amazing here is that we have what the psalmist that wrote this didn't yet have, which is the embodied expression of love that we know in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not that this love is, is more real than it was back then, but there's a sense that we have a picture of it as we think about what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And he says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his Son to take the weight and the guilt of our sins. Rest is found in his love for us and as we practice our expression of love for him. Does that make sense? It's also found in our prayers to God. When we arrive at verse 3, the psalmist just unloads the drama of his life to God. I was talking to Liz Klingler not even 15 minutes ago, and we talked about our personality types tend to be a little, I don't know, dramatic. Right? She probably hates that I'm saying this right now. But the psalmist unloads his drama to God. He acknowledges his deep love for God, yeah, but he also acknowledges his deep pain. Because this brother is suffering distress and anguish. And by the way, our love for God does not remove our need to share that with him to share our mental and emotional and spiritual and physical pain before him. In fact, it's our love for God and from God that allows us to lay our souls bare before him with confidence 
and with hope and with safety and with security. I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Man, are you searching for true rest for your soul? I believe you are, whether you know it or not. Call out, cry out, complain out to the Lord. The Lord loves you to the degree that he has delivered you from death. And there ain't nobody else that we can say that about. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And if we have received that love-driven salvation from Jesus, he calls us his friends. God provided you with the greatest love ever expressed when he sent his only son to lay down his life for you. It's a love with the power to deliver you from the snares of death and the pangs of Sheol, which is another word for hell. To know that there is someone with a death-conquering love that listens to your pleas for mercy and gives you his ear every time you cry out and you plead for deliverance is what will provide you with rest when your life hits a place of complete and utter fragility. By the way, your life is always at a place of utter and complete fragility. The problem is, is that when everything is just going smashingly, you think you're invincible. You don't believe that at the drop of a hat, something can change. You don't believe that one phone call can alter the rest of your existence. You don't believe that one drive down Main Street can alter the rest of your existence. You don't believe that one bad report from the doctor can alter your existence, but it can. That's the kind of fragility that just literally permeates our lives. We don't want to get too close to it. But this is what the psalmist is reminding us of this morning. That life is fragile. That the questions that we ask all the time Show us how fragile I feel. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this mess. I feel like hell is closing in on me. All of my options are gone, Ronnie. I've made a mess of everything I've ever touched. Some of you guys have said that. Some of you guys are saying that. Some of you guys are living that. Maybe you remain in a state of deep distress and anguish because you keep seeking alternative methods of help to find rest for your soul. When the psalmist right here, very simply, is laying his soul bare. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. Then he said this. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Scripture never says your stress and your anguish can just be wished away. It doesn't give us any sort of prescription for that. Scripture tells us that in this world, man, we're going to have trouble. We are assured of that. But it does say that God will hear you. His words will comfort you. His love will satisfy you. 
It says that we find deep soul rest when we lay ourselves bare before God because there is no safer person to do that with than God. There is no one who knows you or gets you more deeply. There is no one who listens more intently. There is no one who loves you more compassionately. There is no one who treats you more gently. Why do we hold back? While our souls continue to stir in states of restlessness and anxiety and stressfulness. Let me read you how one Bible translation put these verses, a few of these verses. It says, death stared me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. Then I called out to God for help. Please, God, I cried, save my life. And you see, the, you see the simplicity there of just coming before the Lord and laying your soul bare and having him listen intently and receiving you and extending mercy and grace. Because rest is found in our love for God and our prayers to God. And then finally, in our praise to God. The third movement the psalmist writes in these first seven verses is his praise for God. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Man, I feel like this can be so difficult for us, for me. So what does it mean to praise God? You're like, isn't that what we just did? It, it is. But, but what, is it, what does it mean if we're like go a, a couple layers down? What does it actually mean to praise God? What does it mean to praise anything? Well, praising something is simply proclaiming the greatness of something. And by the way, like we do it all the time. Literally, we do it all the time. There's probably not a day that goes by that you are not praising. It can be something as simple as a sunset. Man, we saw this stunning sunset. You know, the one where it's like mixed with the clouds and it's all pink and it looks like the whole sky is like fiery. It kind of looks like this. It's like it's just, everything's blowing up. That's praise. Man, we spent a couple of days on Tybee Island off the, near Savannah, Georgia. And man, the ocean there, it's like, it's, it's water and it's clear. I know I'm being super simple right now. But it's like the clearest, most like crystal looking water that I've ever seen. It was stunning. It was just crazy. It was like walking on glass. It's like when you praise a work of art, when you see somebody do something beautiful, like Liz did here with this graphic, and you look at it and you go, I love that image. It does something to me on the inside. Man, I love the way she put these colors together and I love the font she uses. It evokes something in me when I look at it. I love the beauty that I get to behold when I put my eyes on it. That's praising. Man, I had the most delicious meal of my life the other night. It was unbelievable. If you could have seen the way this burger was cooked, if you could have seen the beef that they used, man, it was unbelievable. I've never had a burger cooked that well or taste that good. You know, it's like, what am I doing? I'm praising that burger. Ronnie's last sermon is the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. I just thought I'd make sure you guys were awake because we know that's not true. So I'm just going to X that one out. But there, yeah, somebody laughed hard at that. 
But praising God is proclaiming his greatness. We do it all the time with the things that we get all excited and hyped about, right? It's bragging on God. It's expressing the dramatic and beautiful effect of who he is and what he's done to our souls. And when we proclaim that, when you proclaim that, your soul is being repositioned once again to do the very thing it was created to do, which is worship God. The psalmist says, gracious, righteous, and merciful. You notice he says, gracious, merciful, and righteous is right in the middle. Bookended. His righteousness is bookended by grace and mercy. He goes on to say, he preserves me when I was brought low. He saved me. He has dealt bountifully with me. The psalmist is just speaking what's true about God. And it doesn't change God, it changes him. Psalm chapter 9, verse 1, it's just another small example of this. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Over and over again through the Psalms, they're just praising God. They're bragging on God. They're reframing and reforming their hearts to remember who they are, to remember their fragility, so that they can better remember God's faithfulness. That's why it's so important for us to praise God in order for us to find that rest that is so often lacking. We need constant reminders because our souls become so dull. And the things that we engage our soul in, not always bad things, but if that's the steady diet that we keep bringing in as being the thing that is affecting and influencing our souls more than anything else, it just becomes dull. So we need to speak to our soul the way the psalmist does in verse seven. He says, like he's talking to his soul, he says, return, O my soul, to your rest. He does it by way of reminder. He, he, he's like, hey there, soul, remember to return to your rest. Remember that you can. Why? Well, because the Lord has, the Lord has a reputation in your life for dealing bountifully with you. He could have said a ton of other things. This brother could have said, hey, re, dude, you got to get back. You got to return to vacation. You got to return to what you know. You got to return to your money. You got to return to your family. You got to return to your career. Really what you need to do is return to your friends. You got to just get home. Just return home. Well, it's so much easier to return to those things. But he says, return to your rest. And a restful soul is one that loves the Lord wholeheartedly, cries out to him honestly, and proclaims his greatness liberally because your life, like my life, is like a series of cavities. And so what God does is he gives us the means. He gives us the means for our souls to not go into those polluted and dull places, but he gives us ways in which we can 
keep our souls in a restful and rejuvenated and renewed place. Our love for him, our praise to him, our prayers to him. Do you long for this rest? Because I got to tell you, I do. Man, I, I do so much. I so much need to do the very things I'm preaching to you right now. I hope you hear that. It's interesting when we go back to the Old Testament and God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, this, just this oppressive rule where they were just made to work and work and work. And what did God do? But he delivered them. And the word he used when he used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt and bring them into what he called the promised land, he said to them, you will enter my rest. You will enter my rest. The whole deal with the Old Testament and the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt was so that they could enter the rest of the Lord. Man, that land was going to be good for them. It was going to be a land of milk and honey. Man, the, the crops were going to be there, the animals, um, the, the, all of the things that they needed to live the same way that we need to live as people who need to eat and live and work and flourish. Those things were all going to be there. The land was going to give them those benefits. And God mentioned that. But the overarching thing that he was calling them into was an entrance into his rest. And then we get all the way to the New Testament where we see a picture of Jesus being that rest. So as the Old Testament Israelites entered into the land, as they entered into God's rest, Jesus enters the world thousands of years later to be our rest. It's not a perspective. It's a person. And when your love for him and your prayers to him and your praise to him becomes the regular rhythm of your life, you experience a peace in your soul that passes understanding. So return. Return to this soulful rest by returning to the redeemer of your soul. Because he is here and he will listen intently and gently to your pleas for mercy of which he will give extravagantly back to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this rest that you offer us through Christ. We're not going to find it any other way because it doesn't exist. So Lord, as we reflect on those areas in our lives that are just full of anxiety and stress, Maybe it's as the result of a year that just produced that. Lord, we recognize, Lord, that you are always calling us back to rest. You are always calling us back to your love for us. You're always calling us back to lay our souls bare before you in prayer. You're always calling us back to remember to praise you. Lord, we need to be reminded of our fragility so that we're reminded of your faithfulness. So on this day, Lord, on this day when you have reminded us of the freedom that you've provided us to be able to worship you in this place, God, we pray that you would also remind us of the rest that we need to pursue 
and that is only found in Christ Jesus. So Lord, draw us back to this over these next few weeks. Help us to have a fuller understanding of what it means to find peace with you. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.